Hello and welcome to I'll Jump First, the podcast for teachers, by teachers in Park Ridge Niles, School District 64. I'm Kevin Michael, Instructional Technology Coach at Carpenter Elementary School. I'm Mary Jane Warden, Director of Innovation and Instructional Technology here. And I'm Megan Price, the Instructional Technology Coach at Lincoln Middle School in Park Ridge. Um, today we're joined by Mary Ellen Daniels, and she's done a lot of work with our district and also in our community um, on inquiry in the classroom. And we are specifically today talking to her about using questioning techniques in the classroom. Um, we really think you're going to enjoy it. She gives us a ton of resources to use in your classroom. Um, so we're looking forward to having you listen with us. I am so excited to welcome Mary Ellen Daniels to our podcast today. Mary Ellen, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're working on right now? Sure. Well, thank you, Megan and Kevin, for having me here today. Um, so after 27 years in the classroom at West Chicago Community High School, um, for the last two years, I've been on a leave of absence to serve as the lead teacher mentor for the Robert R. McCormick Foundation. And what I do in that role is I travel across the state of Illinois to work with educators on implementation of the new Illinois social study standards and high school civic education requirement. And that work is gonna continue into next year as well. And some of the things I do are things like face-to-face -face professional development with districts like yours. Um, I've also done some guest lecturing in pre-service programs. I do conference presentations and I use digital media to share resources through newsletters, blogs, Twitter, and now podcasts. Hey, as, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> woohoo! Um, and so as far as what I'm working on right now, I have some exciting uh, projects in the hopper here. I'm, collaborati I'm collaborating with colleagues from the Lou Fry Institute in Florida to develop an online badging or micro-credentialing program in the proven practices of civic education that will be free to teachers nationwide. And the first series of modules on current and controversial issue discussions is going to go live this fall. Um, I'm also working with the American Institutes for Research um, and educators in the Midwest to create open source performance-based assessments in social studies K through 12. And then finally, there's a middle school civics bill that's passed through both um, houses and committee and now is going to the floor for full debate. Um, HB 2265 would basically um, require a semester of civics in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade using the proven practices of civic education, like simulations of democratic processes, current and societal issue discussions, and service learning. And so if that passes, that will shape a large part of my work in the upcoming school year. That's impressive. What are you doing with all of your spare time? Um, coming and recording podcasts with the two of you. All right, so our topic uh, today is questioning and the importance of questioning in the classroom. So Mary Ellen, how did you come to realize the importance of questioning with your students? Yeah, so I really appreciated that you asked this question because it really made me think about this. Um, so questioning has always been foundational to my practice. I've never used a textbook to shape curriculum. I've never been encouraged to do that in my school building. Um, we always were kind of taught that our curriculum should be shaped by identifying enduring understandings and communicating those through big driving questions that really articulated the why of the courses I was teaching to shape curriculum. And then using those big enduring understandings and questions to shape the what in daily lesson plans. And this was so different in how I was taught as a student kindergarten through college. I was really successful student 
I knew how to play the game. I knew how to win the game. I was really good at knowledge telling, but there wasn't a lot of depth there. There wasn't really any roots grounding the knowledge that I was learning to sustain it. Um, questions were really used as a measure of knowledge, but not as a tool to encourage or promote learning. And so when I started teaching, um, our school used a very rigorous evaluation system. You had to be ready to be evaluated at any time. All evaluations were unannounced. You get a knock on the door and an evaluator would show up. And if you were sick, dying, you had to write a refusal. But you couldn't do that every time. You had to be ready on any given day to be evaluated and observed and then to explain what you did. And your evaluation write-up, I still have these in my desk drawer, were like 16 pages long, okay? And they included a minute-by-minute write-up of the what that happened in your classroom. And then that was followed up with a lot of questions to probe why you made the choices that you did as a teacher. And this was done not as a hammer, but as a flashlight to really assess how you did and, more importantly, how your students did in meeting the objectives for the day. And so that really helped me experience how questions could go beyond being an autopsy of learning, but a really critical part of the learning process. And it was the first time I really engaged in metacognition. I didn't do that as a student K through college, really. I mean, that started when I started teaching. And that was super powerful. And it really changed how I looked at the role of questions in the classroom. And I realized that asking the right questions could help me grow as a professional and in turn, it could really help my students grow as well. And I was really lucky early in my career to work in a district that really valued and supported professional development. So tandem to that process of evaluation and learning and growing as a teacher, I got to attend workshops by people like Robert Marzona, Mar- Mar- Marzano, excuse me, um, Wiggins and McTighe, um, Spencer Kagan, where engaging students in questioning is foundational to what we should be doing in the classroom. So it's sort of what I've always known as a young teacher. And I really wanted to be a better teacher. I really wanted to help students go beyond being a teller of knowledge, like I learned to be, but become builders of knowledge, to reference an article that Jennifer Gonzalez shared this week from Cult of Pedagogy, right? Um, So that's sort of where the importance of questions came from, is actually my experience as a young teacher. So as a teacher, how do you use questioning in your classroom? So you might be familiar, Meg, with a a book by Trev McKenzie called um, Diving into Inquiry. Definitely. And in that book, he has a great graphic of a sort of a pool of inquiry, types of inquiry. And that illustration of the pool of inquiry really sort of captures how I use questions in the classroom. To start out the semester, generally I start in the shallow end of the pool, not meaning that the content is shallow, right? But it's more supported and less scary for kids. And in this, I really take the lead as a teacher in choosing topics and creating questions that the entire class moves through uh, together in the inquiry process to really model for students what good questions look like, and what the inquiry process is like. Um, And for me, I really kind of do this through current and controversial issue discussions. Uh, So just to kind of give you some context, the school I teach at in West Chicago is really famous for a semester-long legislative simulation that's required for graduation. That's how we teach government. It's not tracked. All students take this. 
whether they're AP kids or they're kids in the work program or they're English language learners. All students take this non-tracked government class because we think if kids are going to engage in an egalitarian society, they should practice democracy in an egalitarian setting or classroom. And I start the semester with questions around the Bill of Rights. That really captures the kids' imaginations, right? And what I do is I have kids investigate and deliberate um, with questions where they fall on the political spectrum. Questions like, the first day, should teachers be armed? Should teens be charged as adults? Should there be mandatory drug tests for extracurricular activities? And these questions really hook kids um, and put the knowledge in context and get them to start asking critical questions about the rights of individuals and the role of government. Students use parliamentary procedure to shape deliberations and simulate democratic processes. And in doing this in a structured context, the kids explicitly learn the language of civil conversation, which includes the art of questioning. So that's sort of how I start in the shallow end of the pool. And then after this unit, we go a little bit deeper with some kickboards into a controlled inquiry, where each class chooses a core public policy topic, for example, education or national security or social justice. And the students create their own questions using things like the root cause tree and the question formulation technique to research and learn and guide their own learning. And then we get brave and we go a little bit deeper in the pool and engage in more guided inquiry where uh, the kids create a product for informed action or service learning. So they take that topic that they've chosen and they write letters to possible allies for their policy um, issue, asking for support, for help with advocacy, maybe even contacting their elected officials to, to lobby for um, policy change. Um, and again, these allies could be legislators, scholars, nonprofits, or others in civil society. And the kids also, in this guided inquiry, sort of form coalitions with their peers to support some of their policy, their choices as well. Um, free inquiry can be scary for some teachers. Uh, so I actually created a course in our building called Community Leadership, which is more free inquiry, where students, sophomores through senior year, can engage in service learning projects on issues of their own choice. So that's another sort of way we do inquiry in our building. That was a mouthful. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the smart. SparkNotes version here, okay? So to summarize, I really use questions to help students construct knowledge, right, in the shallow end of the pool. And then questions are used to build skills around research, deliberation, and informed action. And then finally, really the dispositions around creating, revising, and asking good questions are taught and practiced as well. So I'll get off my soapbox now and let you go on to the next question here. <laughs> So the part where you mentioned the, the starter questions that you asked to engage your kids about the Bill of Rights, that really intrigued me. And some of those questions are obviously pretty volatile topics. Have um, you ever gotten any kind of uh, negative feedback for bringing up certain topics, either from students or from their parents, or maybe from fellow educators? Yeah, so I actually have not. But I would also say that's because in our school, at least for us as government teachers, we really want to honor student voice in our government simulation. Um, our legislative simulation is unusual in that the kids don't play like an assigned role, like you're playing Senator Durbin, you're Tammy Duckworth. They're playing themselves. Um, and so we actually have a policy of non-disclosure. 
So as teachers, we don't disclose our opinion on these controversial topics. We will intervene, like if a student's humanity is challenged. If, you know, I mean, there are things where you cross the line. You know, people cross the line and you do have to intervene. If something is said that does that threatens a student or, or kind of doesn't create a safe environment, we'll intervene. But generally speaking, we don't disclose our partisanship. And if a, if a conversation is actually skewing towards one side of the spectrum, I actually have a really interesting prompt for this situation. And it's actually a pair of double ears. And I will put the double ears on and the kids know then that I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm playing a role. <laughs> this may or may not be my opinion, just to sort of stir the pot a little bit to get them thinking of something else. I would also say that really is what key, what is key when we do this is we use a protocol called structured academic controversy to do this. And in structured academic controversy, students are explicitly taught both sides of a controversial issue and actually forced to take a side, like play the role, and then switch roles, perspectives, so that they really have an understanding of both sides of the controversial topic. So I'm not favoring or giving privilege to one side of the topic over another. They're really seeing both sides of the issue before they make a decision. And I think that really sends a message to kids that when we talk about being open-minded, we're not talking about being empty-minded, right? Our kids come in with their own lived experiences. Some of my students, I have a lot of Latinx students at West Chicago. They certainly have interactions with institutions of power that I don't have. They have certain civic knowledge that I don't have. I want to tap into that. Really, that's culturally sustainable pedagogy, right? Um, and so being open-minded means being aware of the multiple perspectives and then making a mindful choice of where you are, right? I'm open-minded to understand both perspectives. So I think that we so explicitly do this and we articulate it to the kids that that's what we're doing. We don't have the issues of people thinking that we have a political agenda, even in this time of political polarization. But you really have to articulate that to your students, to your administration, and to the parents as well. So... I haven't in 30 years. Here's the sound effect. Knock on wood. <laughs> but I think it's because of all the pre-work we do beforehand. And the double ears don't help. Don't yeah, hurt. I like that idea. Yeah. Megan and I are also joined today by MJ Wharton, the District 64 Director of Technology and Innovation. So, um, MJ, do you want to jump in with a question for Mary Ellen? I did. I did. Because um, a lot of what... I'm hearing from Mary Ellen's experiences at the high school level. And while we all know, you know, our students can be civically minded from kindergarten through eighth grade, uh, how have you seen this played out at varying other levels of, you know, of kids? Right. So I've seen that these strategies, structured academic controversy, the use of um, essential and supporting questions work with early elementary, middle school students, and high school students. The difference is really how you curate the topics. That's why in the middle school bills that I, I referenced um, earlier in the podcast, the language for the middle school bill is current and societal issues instead of current and controversial issues. Knowing that the emotional, um, perhaps uh, maturity of middle school students their background knowledge, some of the stuff that's going on in the SEL space as well, really should inform the choices you make about the types of issues you use. 
Um, the same with elementary school students. I, so that's a different, like what, what topics are appropriate. And then I think also how you scaffold those conversations as well. Intentionally teaching how to corroborate or agree with someone. How do you disagree respectfully? Giving sentence starters, right? So I've seen second graders de deliberate the use of Native American mascots, you know, in schools um, after learning about sort of the heritage of Illinois and, um, you know, asking those questions. That's something that they could sort of understand. Um, whereas in high school, it might be appropriate to talk about legalization of marijuana. I don't know that I would do that at a middle school level, right? So the strategy is the same, but as educators, we're mindful of the emotional maturity, we're mindful of the skill set, and we adapt resources accordingly. And there are resources out there readily available to help support you in this work. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Does that answer your question, Yes, today? and we'll definitely need those resources. Okay. Just taking this as a... Uh, you know, I'm a third grade teacher, and what you're saying is very compelling, but, you know, I've never myself been in that sort of, like, legislative environment right. or, or even um, had a lot of experience doing that. So how do I get started so that I can get my kids started right. in that? And, and hearing about the different topics that at each grade level, I don't know if that's curated or if there's some resource out there that teachers can use as, as a jumping off point. Right. You know, the nice thing about the Illinois social science standards is that there's a theme at each grade level. So going with a theme at your grade level um, could really help you sort of curate the resources that would be appropriate. I would also say that, you know, we do a government simulation to give this context, but you could do this through a historical context. You know, you could do this through narratives, through ELA literature. Um, I have a friend, Shonda Ronan, who helped write the elementary standards. Um, who now is a principal downstate at Bunker Hill, but at the time was a first grade teacher in Hillsborough. And she did a great inquiry with her first graders. And the essential question was, how can a first grader make a difference? And did a case study of Ruby Bridges in the ELA hour and through art. And, and you know, the kids really asked some critical questions about a very compelling and often difficult era in our nation's history. And those first graders did a wonderful job coming up with questions, using literature, and articulating their views on that issue. So I think, again, being mindful of your themes. And I, the Illinois Social Science in Action website has a great resource with the themes and aligned literature and books that kind of bring up some of these questions that could be used in the classroom. And I think the exciting thing, especially for K-5 through teachers, is when you're doing social study standards, I'm going to bet my bottom dollar that you're also doing the ELA standards as well. You're practicing reading, writing, sure. speaking, and listening in context. So you can bundle these things together to meet really important learning objectives. And I would say the same with science and social studies as well. That, that idea brings me back to, you had mentioned a little while ago, giving students, younger students, uh, starters for conversations and how to appropriately agree, disagree, and debate topics. And we've seen in elementary classes that teachers have given their kids bookmarks with starters for things like giving feedback on other students writing or having conversations about the reading activity they've done. It would be very easy for teachers to tie that into also having conversation starters for these types of discussions. So I like that idea. Yeah. And I think another thing that really is powerful that I've just learned to do intentionally 
um, in the last couple of years is also to teach kids to invite other people in. Right, that a successful conversation is just isn't just about hearing yourself talk, but it's also hearing from all voices and getting multiple perspectives, and to teach the kids language for, hey, Megan, I haven't heard from you yet. Would would you like to? Would you like to? You know, I would like to hear what you have to say about this topic, and teaching kids to do that for one another. My students now, if we have like Socratic circles or we have a dialogue, they do not feel successful unless every student has been heard from. We need that for adults, too. Yeah, we do. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that, that really is foundational, especially in, you know, current society right now when we're dealing with social media and when folks get on social media and all they really do here is the things that they believe, like, you know, shout it back at them. Um, but where do we create that uh, inquiry about what another dimension might be or what another perspective might be? And a really value seeking that out. I mean, that really starts early on. So if we get our first graders to be doing it, that later on is just going to be part of the way that they can critically process through whatever concept or issue may be before them. Yeah, and even to practice some of those SEL skills that if I say to Megan as a fellow student, hey, I haven't heard from you and I see you're tensing up, I could say, can we come back to you in a couple of minutes? You know, I mean, so to teach the kids to do that sort of thing, I think is so powerful. Yeah. Um, So we've talked a lot about the importance of inquiry and questioning opportunities in the classroom. Um, And we know through research that there's a disparity between how many questions and the types of questions the teachers are asking versus the students. So what are some actual methods, K to 8 or K to 12, that you would recommend for helping students develop their own questioning skills? Um, and why do you think, if you know, if so, why do you think that this needs to be done more explicitly than most people are doing it now? Okay, so I'm going to start with the second question about why this needs to be done more explicitly. Um, you know, I often make the cases in my workshops that we need to teach civics explicitly because it's not passed down through the gene pool, right? It's not something you're born with. You have to practice it. But questioning and curiosity seems like it is sort of passed down through the gene pool, right? Like babies are naturally curious. If I go into a kindergarten class, it's 100 questions an hour at least, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like kids are sort of naturally curious, but somehow they're taught to lose that curiosity in the educational system. Um, Somehow young people are taught that questions are not welcome or maybe even are a sign of ignorance. So one of my favorite quotes that I often share in my workshops is from Albert Einstein, who many people deem one of the most intelligent people that has ever lived. And he said, if I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution, I would spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. And so I think it's really important to give kids the message consistently that questions are a sign of intelligence and not ignorance. So often kids see questions as a hammer or a gotcha moment that shows that they're lacking in some way, right? And we need to show students that questions can be a flashlight to really guide their learning. And and, um, we also need to understand that as educators, we gotta send a message that questions instead of a gotcha moment, it's a, hey, I got you moment. I'm gonna give you time to think and reflect. I got you, just take take a little bit of time and, and give that think time. And you know, if you're wondering, I got you, let's let's figure this out together. So I think we've got to change the narrative, and that's why it explicitly has to be taught. 
Now, the strategies I'm going to share are actually K through 12. Um, that are my favorite strategies. And I've mentioned one of them already, and that's the question formulation technique that I think I introduced to all of you mm -hmm. about a year ago. Yeah? Yes. How's it going in your building? Oh, we love it. Yeah. It's used um, really across subject areas, I think, in our middle schools. So it's it's been really powerful for our students. Yeah, and that's from the Right Question Institute. And I was introduced to it at Maine Township High School several years ago and started using it in my classroom. And every teacher that I've shared it with like I said, my friend Shonda down in Hillsboro used it with her first graders. Two colleges, you know, are using it to really engage kids in creating questions and thinking about the types of questions and their purposes, how to rewrite questions and use them with intention. Another really great um, resource to help students engage in metacognition and creating questions is called Visible Thinking for Project Zero out of Harvard University. Um, they have a book called Making Thinking Visible, but they have a free website you could go to, Visible Thinking, where they have five to 10 minute quick questioning strategies that are varied in their purpose that you could use to get kids think about their own thinking and engage in that metacognition that, as I shared with you, I didn't learn how to do really until I was an educator. Um, the uh, Q Matrix from Kagan Cooperative Learning this is a tool that I was introduced to, and these are question starters for students. So uh, the first layer of question starters are literal questions, kind of DOK1. And then they have question starters uh, that are inferential questions, DOK2 and 3. And then they have question starters that are evaluative or speculative, DOK3 and 4. And you can even find them online in Spanish as well if you have a dual language program. And I find, again, elementary through high school, those question starters, kids just need help, you know, starting the question or to reflect on the types of questions they have. What level are they like? How can I level up a little bit? So that Q matrix is very powerful. Um, the five whys technique from Toyota, which basically, yeah, it's sort of a design thinking concept where you kind of probe deeper as to why things are happening. That's that's great in science and social studies across the curriculum. And then finally, um, Dan Fouts, who is just down the road in Maine Township, he has a great a blog and website called Socrates Questions, Teach Better with Big Questions. And he has great examples, kindergarten through high school, of how to engage in questioning. He does a lot with children's literature. Um, and then also for using questioning in classroom deliberations, like those conversations you asked about, MJ, structured academic controversy is something I would look up. Also, Socratic circles or Socratic seminars. Um, the Institute of Play has something called Socratic Smackdown. I don't like the title because it sounds like too adversarial, but it gamifies Socratic dialogue for elementary through middle school students. And it's, it's very structured. So that's a, something I look at. And then finally, philosophical chairs is another questioning technique that you could Google, find resources for that is really appropriate K through 12. Is that enough to start with? I could go on. That's great. That. Okay. And, and for our listeners, we're going to try to include links to all of these resources in the notes for today's episode. Um, so uh, next question uh, is... Uh, do you have any tips for how teachers can get started with studying questioning to improve their practice? Yeah, so to begin with, before you even start engaging in this questioning, I think you really have to create a civic and collaborative environment, a reflective 
classroom environment for this to happen in, right? Like risk-free? Pardon me? Risk, like risk-free? Yeah. I mean, or it's safe to fail. I mean, there, there's still going to be risk. But again, go from the gotcha moment to as a teacher, I got you, right? To create an environment that if a kid hears something or even a question that really affects them, they feel like they can say, ouch, you know, when I heard that question or when I heard that comment, this is what I heard, that they can advocate for themselves. And we teach them how to do that. Or if a kid misspeaks, teach them how to say, oops. You know, when I said that, I didn't realize it would have this effect and, 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 and take ownership of that. And it's that restorative justice piece, right? And, and to use those opportunities to educate. This can be daunting. So two resources I would recommend are Facing History and Ourselves. They have some great resources about creating these civic spaces for questioning and inquiry to happen. And then also Teaching Tolerance has great resources as well. And for you elementary teachers, Teaching Tolerance has great lesson plans around this for the early elementary grades. So I would that's where I would start is you got to create the space and create the norms for this to happen. Um, I've mentioned them before. I really should be an affiliate or something, but um, Luce Santana and Dan Rothstein, um, who are the founders and creators of the question formulation technique, have a really great book, and the title is Make Just One Change. And I really love the sentiment um, of that title and also the sentiment of the title of your podcast, right? Um, because really... I would just encourage teachers to get started by investigating just one of these strategies and make just one change. Start using that strategy in your classroom. Don't do it all at once. Just do one. I know you love the podcast, 1% Better. I love it. Right? Yeah. So just get 1% better. Just one strategy and, get, and, and do it well. Um, you know, I tell teachers that I work with, you know the way you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time, right? So just take one bite and, and chew on that for a while, right? And digest that and process it. And then maybe try something else. I would also really try to seek out teachers that use questioning techniques well um, in the classroom. See if you can observe them. See if you can pick their brains. If there's not someone in your building, the teaching channel has some great videos of these things that I talked about, philosophical chairs, Socratic circles, structured academic controversies, questioning in the classroom, not just in social studies, but across the curriculum. Check that out. Um, and also Cult of Pedagogy. I, do we have Cult of Pedagogy? Oh, yes. Do we have, yes. 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 Paula to Jennifer Gonzalez, right? Totally subscribe. Yeah, so that blog and that, um, that podcast really can be encouraging to you in this space as well. Um, and to that effect, I really think you should seek out thought partners, you know, become part of a professional community like, oh, I don't know, Megan, maybe the Illinois Council of Instructional <laughs> Coaches or, yeah, or the Chicagoland Google Educators Group. I belong to the National Council for the Social Studies, whatever that is, maybe join a weekly Twitter chat. There's many of them available online. Um, it's really smarter to travel in groups, right? So to do that. And then when you use these strategies in your classroom, get feedback. You know, so maybe that teacher that coached you, invite them in if they have an opportunity to give you feedback. Or, I don't know, maybe an instructional coach could come in and give you feedback. And most importantly, get some feedback from your students as well. You know, how are they feeling about it? How did they feel like it went? Um, 
And then finally, the last thing I would say is really find what works for you. You know, don't be a second-rate version of someone else. Be a first-rate version of you. Find out what enhances your practice in your learning and, and be secure in doing that. So that's sort of the advice in getting started is just try one thing, get some people to collaborate with you, become part of those professional learning communities so you don't feel like you're an island, get feedback, and uh, just be true to who you are as a teacher. So you've given us so many practical strategies for teachers to be using in their classrooms, and we all know that we don't get that very often, so thank you for that. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with us, maybe about civics or some of the other work that you're doing? So this is going to be a three-part podcast, right? <laughs> you're going to civics? No? Yeah. So, okay, I'll, I'll dial it in. I'm <laughs> dialing it in. So civics is my passion. It's my jam, as you know. So I think everyone is sort of mindful of the, of the effect of the, of the fact, excuse me, that the election of 2016 was really sort of a Sputnik moment for civic education. Just like Sputnik sort of made everyone aware of, wow, we need to do better in math and science. The election of 2016, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, people are like, we need to do better in civic education, right? We need to go back to the civic mission of schools. We've really been focusing on college and career readiness. I think people are realizing that we need to add a third C to that, and that's civic life. So one thing that I'm really encouraged about is that Illinois, as a state, We've got our foibles. I mean, we've got we've we've got our issues. But one thing I can say is that Illinois seems to be realizing that, and really, we are pioneers in civic education. Like the rest of the nation, many are watching what's happening in in Illinois in this space because we're supporting this idea of preparing kids for civic life with policy change, with new standards, with a civics mandate to graduate high school, and maybe something for the middle school space as well. So that, I'm encouraged by that, and we all should be encouraged by that. But I guess if I would leave with one sort of sentiment, is that really to prepare kids for civic life, we need to go beyond the Constitution test, right? I, I mean, You have heard me give this analogy of learning to drive a car. Kevin, have you heard this, heard this analogy? I, I believe so, yes. Okay, yeah. But, you know, I'll ask my students or even legislators or lawmakers, you know, how many of them think that a kid is prepared to drive a car simply by passing the rules of the road test? I'll give you individual think time. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, that's craziness, right? Otherwise, Sheldon Cooper would have his driver's license, right, for those of you that are the Big Bang uh, Theory fans, right? No good can come of this because driving a car is more than just knowing the rules of the road. It's having those skills and dispositions. Likewise, why do we think our young people are prepared? to participate in our republic simply by passing a constitution test, to which many times they could ask Siri the answers and get them in five seconds or less, right? We've got to practice these skills and dispositions. And if I might get on my soapbox for a minute, let me just, okay, I'm getting on my soapbox. You can't see me at home, but I'm getting on my soapbox. Um, while a robust and relevant social studies curriculum is important to do this, it's equally important for all educators, everybody in a school building, to realize that they're civic educators. The way you run your school, your policies and practices, the climate you create, they all send messages to kids about things like equity, power, identity, and justice. And these are all key concepts in civic education. 
In addition, those future scientists and IT specialists and poets and dancers and doctors, they're all going to be citizens of a community. And public policy is going to affect and impact what they do. Gosh, we as teachers should know more than anybody else how policy can impact <laughs> what we do, right? Yes. So all educators are civic educators. And we all need to be intentional in the messages that we send to students. And all of us must work together to help our students ask better questions. See, I brought it back around to the topic, right? <laughs> we all have to help our kids ask better questions to participate in our republic and prepare for global citizenship. So that is my parting sort of thought here. So I'm just going to climb down from my soapbox now. I think you've given all of us a lot to think about, a lot of great ideas and resources. Um, and I wanted to say thank you so much one more time for joining us. Well, thank you for letting my first official podcast experience yeah. be such a positive one. So thank you very much. I can't wait to hear it and, um, and also learn from you all because you guys have been great thought partners for me. I love working with the teachers in your district and, you know, just the conversations we have make me a better educator in person. So thank you. Right back at you.